Welcome to Retro Fanfic Retrospective, the podcast where we dredge up old fanfiction out of the cyclopean depths of the internet and expose it to the cold, unfeeling light of the universe. My name is Amato, he, him, and with me are... Tori, they, them. Sergio, he, him. And Kai, he, him. That's right, we have two guests for the price of one this week, and actually it's for the price of zero because you two reached out... (laughs) And asked about coming on the the podcast again out of your own initiative. Thank you so much. Of course. We're glad to be back. I hope so. I I guess the conversation about that Animorphs fanfic didn't scare you off too much. (laughs) No, I know. I loved it. I think that's one of my favorite episodes that we've recorded with other people. I always think about it, so I'm glad to be on. <laughs> yeah, no, we, we, we bring it up like a bunch. We're like, remember when we did that? Yeah, we should be back on there. And then we just didn't get around to it until this year. Great. Well, I mean, uh, yeah, it works for us. No, I'm happy because I love doing the Animorphs episode too. And I believe that y'all also came to us with the idea of doing Animorphs, at least. Like, well, they I had... don't remember exactly how that went down, but... I think they had a few suggestions, and that's what we settled on. Because... I mean, it's always so useful when I get, you know, unusual guests on the show because it's these excuses <laughs> to read stuff we normally wouldn't. Totally. And so I think Animorphs came up as a possible topic. And I was like, oh, yeah, there's Animorphs fanfics and I just haven't had the right guest. And likewise, in this case, actually, you two, we did read a Godzilla fanfic pretty recently, but it wasn't a very good fanfic. And so we were actually happy for an, an opportunity to go back and read another one and give the big guy a better shot. That's awesome. <laughs> overall i enjoyed this one more it's got a yeah. few things going on but definitely yeah y'all if you uh want to subject yourself to punishment read the other fan fiction we did but if you don't then just listen to the episode because what was it called uh, 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 <laughs> it wasn't that long ago and i still don't remember Godzilla it's that versus... bad huh <laughs> well, it, 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 it wasn't the worst thing i've ever read it just wasn't very good um and and unfortunately, one of the worst parts was the characterization of Godzilla, which is something oh. you kind of don't want to drop the ball on when you're writing a Godzilla fanfic. Oh, yeah. Oh. So I'm going to have a lot of comments about how Godzilla is actually characterized well in this versus the other one. But um, right. But I think before that. Oh, yeah. Godzilla versus Jagareth. Jagareth. It's a good kaiju name, frankly. Yeah. Um. But anyway, we mm-hmm. we came around to Godzilla because we'd been talking about Tokusatsu fanfic, and there's just no good old Tokusatsu fanfic that's not Power Rangers. And so I think you suggested, how about how about kaiju stuff? How about Godzilla? Which I understand is a topic you two are into. Could you describe mm-hmm. a little bit your backgrounds with Godzilla or you know kaiju movies and such in general? Dai kaiju, I should say. Sergio, you should take this one. Sure. So I kind of got started um, with Godzilla um, because for whatever reason, as a kid, I was really interested in looking at long running movie franchises. And well, Godzilla is one of those. So, you know, I started reading up on it. I was like, oh, this is cool. Going through the Wikipedia pages, reading the plot synopses and whatnot. And then my little brother uh, was a big fan of um, Cinemassacre. And, you know, he watched his like monster madness on the Godzilla movies. And that led us to like going to an FYE and picking up Godzilla against Mechagodzilla, uh, which is a certified hood classic on my my eyes. And then its sequel, Tokyo SOS, which are still to this day, my two favorite Godzilla movies. And I've just kind of always been a fan. I, I, I like him as a character because he's just a big, angry lizard who uh, wants to be left alone. And, you know, I relate to that. 
Godzilla versus Tokyo versus Mechagodzilla and Tokyo SOS. Is that the third main continuity? Um, like the sh- no. Uh, what what era is that? Uh, yeah. After Heisei, that's the Millennium series. The Millennium series, yeah. because um, we watched the third one in that series. Um, Godzilla, someone, King Ghidorah. Is that the third in that series? Uh, Godzilla, Mothra, King Ghidorah, all monsters, yeah. giant monsters, yes. all out attack. My favorite one. <laughs> yeah, we watched that one in high school Japanese class, and <laughs> I feel like that was one of my earliest things of like, oh, Godzilla's not like. I didn't realize Godzilla movies were still being made. It's for one thing, oh, like that they okay. were at, at that point. But I think it was relatively recent, you know, when we watched it then. And um, I remember thinking it was pretty good. Oh and yeah, I I was a little bit annoyed. There was a fourth kaiju in that movie who just did not get title billing. Who who was it? Uh, Ro- Rodon maybe gets beat. Oh okay, Baragon, Bar- which is the Baragon. like the shelled the shelled mm-hmm. one, right? Yeah. I was like, poor guy just doesn't make it onto the title. <laughs> He's not that important, even though he's cute. At least I think he's cute. <laughs> I agree. I was gonna say, have you seen the behind-the-scenes clip uh, with like the it's 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 from it's from that movie of like the suit actress who played Baragon, and you know she's she's making the Baragon noises herself, like on set, like in the the costume. I haven't, it's but really that sounds adorable. great. Oh. It is cute. I'd never seen it before. I <laughs> uh, sorry, just looked up Baragon. And <laughs> I, I'm going to be counting on on you to provide more Godzilla knowledge because I've probably seen as many Godzilla movies on Mystery Science Theater as I have like actually seen them. And besides that, I've just like what you know. I, I've also trolled the wikis and that sort of thing. I played Godzilla Destroy All Monsters Melee. Does that count as Godzilla yeah, knowledge? That counts. counts. <laughs> was Jet Was Jet Jaguar a character? I played it when I was a kid. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Probably. Okay. Probably. Sometimes they remember he exists. Sometimes. Probably shouldn't. So I'll I'll give my experience. I think mine's a little less structured than Sergio's. Um, I kind of grew up watching the Godzilla movies with my dad. And so I, I just have a lot of childhood nostalgia memories of it. But um, yeah, Godzilla, Mothra, King Ghidorah, Giant Monsters All Out Attack is like the best the best of the best in my opinion um i don't know i just really like it i couldn't even tell you what i like about it <laughs> maybe just king ghidorah because king ghidorah is like my favorite out of mm. all the kaiju so who knows but that's my experience more limited um mine's even more limited and i know we talked about this on our previous episode but like i saw the 19th 19- 64 is that when it came out the original movie or 50, I, don't know. 50 I saw something. the original movie um i saw one of the american updates um mm. with Mat- matthew broderick um what was that the 2001 yeah but which oh wasn't my gosh. very good no um, that one's terrible <laughs> yeah and i played destroy all monsters so like it just like y'all are the experts here but <laughs> I do want to speak to that thing you said about, like, you don't know why you like it, Kai, because, like, I feel like that is a really interesting thing about Godzilla. Like, what I think about um, how well-constructed that first movie was, but then so many people like a lot, like, the kaiju stuff so much, and I think I find it appealing, too, even though I have limited experience in it, Mm -hmm. but, like, 
what is fun about it? It's is it the action. Is it watching Tokyo get destroyed? Is it like the themes? I honestly don't know. Maybe is it's it the monster just, design. I, I think it's just the monster design. To be honest, yeah. like they're they're so artfully done. Like even in the worst renditions, I would say like the monster design is still really good. Yeah. I've got to say, Ultraman is another thing that I haven't gotten into as much as I've like occasionally looked through a Wikipedia mm. article on. But every time I kind of remember Ultraman, I'm like, dang, this is a franchise that just cranks out really cool giant kaiju monster designs all over the place. And it's like, you don't have to sit through a whole movie. You just, you know, it's like a half hour episode and there's going to be some cool giant monster fight every time. And then I'm like, I should probably watch more of this. But then yeah, I do I've never gotten into it either, but it does definitely look cool. <laughs> There's just something about big monsters that is so appealing. Mm. Well, <laughs> and it's like it reaches back to that stage in art, you know, when we're kids and all I want to do is like design a creature. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, not everybody does that, I guess, but it's that whole fantasy-esque, like you can put whatever you want on it. Like this was something in Godzilla versus ja Jaggerith. Yeah. Um, the other fanfic we read that I actually did like is the author prefaced it with the description of Jagrath was a monster they created and they had this whole like description like think Godzilla but with like these types of spines and it's this tall and it has this coloring oh, yeah. they and they were so into describing the creature they had made and that just kind of delighted me well they designed Jagrath when they also described their Godzilla oh, yeah, that's right, which their is the Godzilla. most Godzilla thing because they're always oh, redesigning the, yeah. the you know tweaking the design or changing it or being like okay this is going to be you know kind of basically the the Heisei era Godzilla but we're going to do like these other things and it, it was very endearing. Oh, that's right. That's when they said, think Godzilla. They were, th yeah, that when they were describing their own Godzilla. Yeah, they did so much monster description. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. I love that. I, I would be that person if I wrote any kind of kaiju stuff. I would be like getting all in depth into the monster creation. I was one of those kids for sure that was just like, let me design this creature and do nothing with it for the rest of my life. But I made it. <laughs> Oh, you know how many video games I've played, too, where I literally just designed a character and played, like, one level with that character? Oh, yep. yep. <laughs> but because I wanted to design a character, that's all I wanted to do. <laughs> yep. I've done that with The Sims, too, where it's just like, I want to design a Sim, and then that's it. That's all I do with them. Or design their house, and that's it. Right. Like, don't even care what they look like, just the house. The whole idea of, like, you know, goals in The Sims always seemed you know, pretty secondary to the whole concept. I know mm -hmm. they tried to like make it a, make a gameplay loop and such, but it's like, if you can make a house and then have them wander around and, you know, accidentally get in trouble because they, they need to drink coffee and they haven't or something, like that's the gameplay that you need. Yes. <laughs> Be like, I cannot walk to the bathroom. It's taking me three hours. I'm about to pee on the floor. That is The Sims. <laughs> peak sims experience oh man well to uh redirect us to our point i guess yes. we technically have a godzilla fan fiction to talk about we sure do we have godzilla versus cthulhu by cl werner and when i was looking around at like godzilla fanfics to read um i was really happy to run into or like double check this, this has been on my list for a while but i didn't realize cl werner is a published genre fiction author. Like, oh. he writes a lot of stuff. Um, oh, did, did you not get that memo? Because the thing no. is, he's a published genre fiction author 
who writes a lot of Warhammer novels. He's not one of the main guys, but he's like oh, wow. a real, he's one of the steady folks, you know? Like he wrote the the Skaven books, like the, mm-hmm. um, he's a big Skaven fan. He did the the Thanquil and Bone Ripper books and like he's done some random 40K stuff and such. And that made me happy because when we were talking about things we might be able to talk about, like you two proposed Warhammer 40K, and I was thinking like there's, there's no good old fan fiction. But we've got that connection here. We've got, you know, a point of connection anyway. The cinematic tie-ins. I like it. (laughs) (laughs) But he also wrote Godzilla fanfic. It seems like he hasn't for quite a while. This particular one was published somewhere or other. Um, I would need to turn up his, like... It's published on the author's website, I think. No, not the author's website. It's on a website called Kaiju File. Yes. It's, there's not a whole lot of fanfiction on Kaiju File, but this is one of the things that there is. Kaijufile.com has all of C.L. Werner's Godzilla fanfiction that exists in the same shared you know, continuity, apparently. But in addition, this particular story we're reading, um, Godzilla vs. Cthulhu, was apparently published in kind of, you know, fan press form in the Cthulhu Codex number 13, Eastertide 1998. Published oh by Necronomicon gosh. Press. So it, and it was a fanzine, right? Um 36-page fanzine mm-hmm. that sold for $450. And that this is according to isfdb.org, the Internet Fiction Speculative Database. Speculative fiction database, I guess. Um and so I, I don't know. I like fanzines. I'm happy that we're reading one that was published in one. So because because you mentioned that this is in a shared universe, is there a sequel to this one? Because I feel like my thoughts on the ending are a bit better if there's a sequel to this. Yeah, it appears that this is the second in a whole series of fanfics that are a shared universe. Um, if you if you check out the Kaiju File website here, um, there's a whole of the new Werner of the of the C L Werner fanfics. One of them's labeled C W for some reason, but the rest of them are labeled New Era. And I believe that is a new era continuity that he was creating that started with Godzilla versus Frankenstein and continues with Godzilla versus Cthulhu, Godzilla versus King Kong, the return of Rodan. It, it keeps going. Frankenstein has risen from the grave. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think this does pick up, though. I also want to talk about that ending because it's rather abrupt. The last. Yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, we'll get to the ending, but the ending just left a bad taste in my mouth, which I I think it's alleviated now that you told me that there's another one. But I was like, you can't just you can't just do that. Like, like in one one line of one line. Oh, yeah. But I I did enough research to see what he was doing there, actually, um, which was actually placing it in the Heisei movie continuity specifically. And so it may very well be that he wasn't planning on it being a shared universe at that point you know you never Mm -hmm. know with these things i i don't do enough research to contact the author and ask about them these days i probably should he's probably contactable this is gonna have a lot more context once we get to the ending right okay Um, maybe we should start with the beginning yes (laughs) whoa how novel (laughs) all right so millennia ago on the protoplasmic earth uh, i mean we'll start at the beginning of the story i guess so it's godzilla (laughs) versus cthulhu which is kind of obvious and other authors have done it, but it's obvious in a good way, right? It's like two big sea monsters that are giant and they could probably punch each other, maybe. Um, and there's a little bit of cover art on kaijufile.com. 
It's also posted on fanfiction.net, but that version kind of messes up the the scene transitions and it's hard to read. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, I guess to describe the way this story goes, it starts off with two pretty independent plot threads that then kind of converge and then, you know, reconverge again later. Anyone want to start us off on one of those? So I can I can start us off with um I I guess the the more meaty of the two uh which is number mm-hmm. two um right uh so we have uh like a a sort of like like Lovecraft plot um where we have a uh um a police officer going undercover um uh to investigate a cult that's actually worshiping Cthulhu that we find out later but I I I felt like. Because especially, like, with this in J- Japan, it immediately gave me, like, Om Shinrikyo vibes, if you're familiar with yeah, yeah, yeah. that whole thing, and its connection to Earthbound, which I think is how most Americans are aware of it. Um, so I was like, oh, there's some there's some culture thing going on here, because it's, like, evil cult in Japan doing terrorist things, and it's like, oh, that's, yeah, that, uh, that, that, that stuff actually happens over there, and it's messed up. That was effective resonance, I agree. If you're talking about like, oh, you know, a, a boom and a, they call it a, the new religions in Japan, but you know, mm-hmm. uh, a boom and a new religion that has like creepy cult, you know, o- under and over and all around tones and that yeah. sort of thing. Um, and yeah, in the second segment here, we're introduced that plot thread and there's a whole lot of kind of tell don't show, I feel like in setting mm-hmm. this up because because in this guy's description, it's from his perspective. His name's Ryu Yamamoto. And like, he's an undercover police officer. And he's like, I've seen horrible things. And I've made contact with this woman who's undercover, try- who's like, not actually a believer, but trying to save her brother. And I've fallen in love with her. And also there's this American agent. And like, he confronted me here. And like, it's all very bam, 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 bam. And I think in one sense, once the story got going, I was kind of like, actually, that's fine in this case the kind of tell-don't-show, because it gets me, it gets the momentum going real fast in that plot thread. Like, you don't have to, I mean, effective build-up is a good thing, but if you're trying to get momentum, I feel like the author actually accomplished that pretty quickly. Well, this is, this opening scene, I think, is just exposition. It's a lot of exposition. And it's done kind of from a third-person omniscient and Ryu Yamamoto's head. And I think that's fine. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Amato. I think it's just like, yeah, we were trying to ramp up the action here. But, you know, there is a short scene before that. And this fanfic has a lot of good uh, writing in it. And what I liked mm-hmm. is when you mentioned the tell-don't-show... I was like, well, here's a show don't tell is that right before we get introduced to Yamamoto's character, um, you know, the waters of the Bering Sea boiled into life as a huge form, like a black mountain rising from the ocean floor broke the surface. And then it skips to here he comes again, the colonel said with somber gratifying gravity, sorry, somber gravity, notify the UNGCC and the papers, let the people prepare as well as they can. And then at the very end of that, it's like uh, the adjunct didn't see that uh, the tear that fell from the colonel's eye as the officer watched the blue light head slowly, deliberately for Japan. So you have like a lot of drama right off the bat that's setting you up for, 
a Godzilla thing, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah now, that you, now that you read it out to me, the, the, what just comes to mind is Godzilla, like, rising up from the ocean, and somebody just turns to the camera going, aw, shit, here we go again. <laughs> it's well, cinematic, I, I, yeah. I, I do love that line, let the people prepare as well as they can, where it's like, they've been through this before, they know there's going to be massive civilian casualties, and they're just like, well, you know, get the ball rolling. I also had to look up what the UNGCC is, and I was delighted to find out it's the United Nations Godzilla Countermeasures Center. Like, I just, I just love, <laughs> in, in the Heisei era movies, I just love these like kaiju settings where it's like, you've got these whole organizations trying to deal with this at all, uh, usually not too well. They're trying. <laughs> Doing their best. Anyway, yeah, that's the other main plot thread, which is like Godzilla has shown up again for no specifically clear reasons and is heading for, I'm sad to say, the city of Hokkaido because the author's under the impression that Hokkaido is a city. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry to tell them it's not a city, but goodbye. I, y- you know, now that you say that, because I, I guess I didn't notice it because I was like, he's heading towards Hokkaido. And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, the... The, the the region I, I i didn't realize now until you until you said that that that's what they were calling the city he's very clear that hokkaido is a city in this story but you know uh, uh, uh it's fine it's fine it's just we can a, it's just a, it. it's just a lack of knowledge that's all yeah like it's not like anything else is badly done in that whole you know mm-hmm. plot thread or like characterization of japan or anything it's just probably he was just thinking of sapporo and got confused or something yeah, well, in in this, uh, when, wait, when was this published again? Uh, let me double check. Ninety-eight. Just a time when, like, um, I assume this was written by a Westerner. Uh, the people just didn't have a lot of information about other countries, and even Google was not so much yeah. in place in ninety-eight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'd have to go dig up an encyclopedia. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And that's a lot. Like they're trying to talk about a whole country. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. like, like to be fair, right? I don't know. I, I'm not upset. I just had to point it out. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I mean, it is a little bit. It's like you could actually look at an encyclopedia if you wanted to be a well-researched author, but it's not the like it's not that big a deal to me. I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's not like this is his actual published work. Like this, this was definitely just a passion project of his. So right. it's fine. He didn't go look it up. <laughs> I will say because Cthulhu is in the public domain, if you swapped out Godzilla for copyright free lizard, he could publish this. <laughs> that is true. That is true. <laughs> well, that reminds me of Marvel Comics, right? Where they were publishing the Godzilla comics for a little while. And so Godzilla is like an established part of the Marvel universe, basically, (laughs) except Mm -hmm. that eventually they lost the rights to publish Godzilla comics. And so a few times since then, they've referred to that giant lizard or like some generic term for like Godzilla existing, because there's a few characters that were introduced in that comic that like have an existence continuing because Marvel still has the rights to them. It's it's so dumb and great. Well. They also have a character to replace Godzilla. I think his name is just American Kaiju. Is that right? American <laughs> Kaiju. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, uh, I think he's a guy who turns into a Godzilla-esque creature, but yeah, that's his name. American Kaiju. Fair enough. I'm, yes, Todd like Todd Ziller of Earth 616. Todd Ziller? Ziller. Todd Ziller. 
<laughs> I mean, I appreciate it. Odds. I, I mean, l- like likewise, you know, I've got to pre- I, I like Ryan North in general, right? But on Ryan North's run in Squirrel Girl, that was during the era when Marvel absolutely had the cinematic universe, but definitely did not have the rights to use any mutants. And so there's a point in Ryan North's run of Squirrel Girl where, you know, she was originally introduced in the comics as a mutant. But she describes, oh, no, I'm not a mutant. Actually, when I was born, the doctor looked me over and said that I'm something very, very similar, but completely legally distinct from a mutant. (laughs) Yeah. Just in case they wanted to use her for, you know, movie purposes. Just like Todd Ziller is completely distinct, legally distinct from Godzilla. That's right. No relation. I love Todd (laughs) Ziller so much. (laughs) I like, yeah, I need now I need to know more, but... (laughs) I'm gonna post a pi- I'm gonna post a picture in recording room chat. I I would also like to to bring up that American Kaiju has the American flag on his like. <laughs> oh my torso. gosh! <laughs> oh, like that's part of his skin. Yeah, right? that's wonderful. Or is it body paint? <laughs> or scales? Not skin scales. Uh, right. All right. I think Who knows? a giant, uncontrollable, destructive monster is probably just as good a representation of America as Captain America in the comics. I yeah. think both of those can exist. Sure. Plausible. <laughs> um. But any anyway. So the story we've got Godzilla attacking Hokkaido, and we've got this cult infiltration and the cult storyline thing. It's like as a um. How should I describe it from a Lovecraftian sense? It it doesn't read anything like H.P. Lovecraft, which is fine. You don't need to hate mm-hmm. H.P. Lovecraft for, for many various reasons. But it's like, it's the kind of thing that you get from, um, you know, after the Chaosium Call of Cthulhu role-playing game and such really kind of like codified these things a little bit more. And he, he, the author does all actually, you know, call out very specific things from stories also. Very specifically, the Call of Cthulhu, and Shadow over Innsmouth, mm-hmm. like are drawn from extremely directly. And so it's just like when you're reading this as someone familiar with Lovecraft, you're like, oh, OK, yeah, it's a it's a Lovecraft. Uh, it's a Cthulhu worshiping cult and they've got deep ones. And like they're, they're based out of this, like, you know, bad reputation island town in Japan because because we know from Shadows over Innsmouth that like there's other places like that around the world. Uh, and this is one of them. And like, it's all very what you would expect in that regard. I gotta say, though, like, my whole reading of the story was combating opinions on whether this is well done narrative or not, because, like, it's so genre fiction, like, and it's so in the, not even just specific genre, like, the author goes out of their way to use words like squamous, you know, like, like Lovecraft would use, oh, yeah. but no one he else gets, would He gets use. in a squamous. Like, is it squamous or squamous? Squamous. I, well, I mean, the word isn't, it applies only to like a certain type of cancer cell. So I wouldn't know how to apply, um, like, apply it. But Well, well we're, we're, we're biologists. Too. Both of us are biologists here. Mm. Um, oh, yeah. We got our degrees uh, in between oh, episodes. Yes. Congratulations. Uh, we're the real big, deal. <laughs> big time scale. And uh, it, it is squamous. Uh, squamous okay. cell carcinoma. Uh, another word, because uh, uh, there's squamata, which is the technical term for lizards. Kai, back yes. me up on that. Lizards yeah, and lizards, snakes. Yes. Yeah, squamata. Oh, so squamata, squamates. and then you got squamous. Does oh, your de- is that what the adjective is supposed to mean uh, when Lovecraft uses it? Like, lizard-like? Or like lizard-like, then? Not that that's a real word, but he might... Uh, yes. Time. Oh. Squamous means covered with or formed of scales. 
In the Pokethulu uh, tabletop role-playing game, one of the creature types is Squamous. Oh. Are they lizard-like? I mean, I guess. You have to make up your own <laughs> creatures. You have to make up your own creatures. I just mean like okay. Squamous, non-Euclidean. Um, like there's a few oh, different okay. different types. Uh, does your degrees also qualify you to pronounce ichthyic? <laughs> How do you pronounce that? I I think ichthyic. No, it doesn't qualify me. I don't. think. <laughs> you need a master's for that, right? Wait. Yeah, probably. With our powers combined, English majors and biologists, we can do this. Ichthyic, right? Ichthyic. That sounds right. He uses that one at least twice. Yes, he does. I loved that personally. I think the prose was actually really good. Just as both a like story and from also the perspective like he's coming from the background of lovecraft like i thought it was a it it was a nice usage of like standard lovecraftian verbiage but also a little more updated from modern times (laughs) and i've got to say as we've had this conversation i was half complaining about like the info dump the exposition at the beginning but now i'm coming back around and i'm thinking i'm used to reading internet fan fiction where one of the defining characteristics is that people can write as long as they want. Mm-hmm. But this is fanzine fanfiction. This was published as just one story in a rather short zine. And so the dude actually had a word count. Mm-hmm. I, I'm pretty sure. Like, he was trying to, like, knock off his themes and his ideas and his plot points, like, bam, bam, bam. And for that kind of genre fiction constrained word count writing, I think it, it flows really well. And it's very enjoyable to read. Yeah, that's kind of where I was going with that original point is like, I don't know if this is good or bad because it it fits. It does fit in the genre like it just it really does. Just some of those genre genre tropes aren't great. Like, for instance, Mm -hmm. there's sort of a noir thing going on early on where he falls in love. He's infiltrating the cult. He falls in love with a woman there and she's also infiltrating the cult because she has to be pure hearted and innocent and beautiful, of course. Oh, yes. She's all of that. Blah, 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 blah. She's trying to save her younger brother. And... Guess what happens to her? Yeah, she dies. (laughs) I mean, of course she's fridged. That's exactly this kind of story, right? The only female character. She's just there to make this dude very upset later on. Yep. And it's like, it's so the genre. Right. So you're like, yes, you did that on purpose. But then you're also like, do I like that? I I don't know. (laughs) Do I? Question mark. I appreciate she has a single act of, um, what's the word of like, a single act of volition. She does when there's an opportunity to escape after she's sexually imperiled and, you know, whatever. After a scene um, that like the cult leader set up to try to like, you know, kill, kill the people who are against him, you know, infiltrating the cult. After that, she does have a moment where she could escape with the protagonist. And she chooses to stay behind to try to protect her brother who's still in with the cult. And that's the only thing she does in the story. That is the only act, the only actual, you know, doing anything at all. But she is at least given a choice to have a volition. And the fact that she dies is the result of her choice. So it could be worse. Well, yeah, she's not an unlikable character. It's no, just that and she's, she's not, not explored or given she's not, death. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, the, the the cards aren't all played. 
as well as they probably could have been. But knowing that there is the restraint of the zine makes that make a bit more sense. I I would have liked to see some more characterization from her in particular, though. Like, I would have liked to at least see some more interaction between her and Yamamoto, but... uh. Oh, but, but speaking of, like, playing off pulpy stereotypes, though, it's like the cult leader. He's like a wizened old guy who's intense. And it's like, yes, I understand that. And he's got two henchmen. And one of them mm. is very big and strong, and one of them is very <laughs> small and hunched. And I'm just like, yes, of course they are. Of course. And he's the one in between in terms of height. And like, you know, those two are both deep ones or, you know, deep one hybrids or whatever we are in Lovecraft. But it's just like every everything in this story that I read was just so, yes, of course, that's exactly how it is. Yeah, that it just works. <laughs> it, it reminds me of... um uh in that uh keaton mahard's bootleg novel series that we were reading chain of memories in the second book there there comes to a point where the main characters like before they get to like the the big bad they have to fight uh the 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 two swordsmen who are like brothers and they like fight together as a duo and i was like yeah there's the two dudes trademark because you fought those in like games before where there's the oh, you know yeah. or the the orange scene in smo the two guys you know one's red one's blue and there's usually like uh, you got to take them out like exactly at the same time and i was like this guy just just copied that over into this book Every beat em up I've ever played has had two dudes. <laughs> and there's something yeah. so satisfying when like a trope is fulfilled, right? It's just right. like then you also have to walk it back and say like how do you write good uh pulp essentially are good tropes. Um, right. And I don't know, sometimes I guess it feels like for me this author's writing is so strong it almost might overshadow their overuse of the trope but like you also know the use of the trope is deliberate because they're going with a Godzilla uh Lovecraft crossover so like you can't blame them for it and it just makes my brain confused and the Godzilla content itself i've got to say there's actually some interesting things going on especially with the like Godzilla versus Lovecraftian horrors things that are just you know, those were less by the numbers. Like, I didn't know how things were going to shake out during some of these times. Um, I guess during the the Godzilla plot arc, he attacks Hokkaido. They try to send tanks against him. That never works. And there's a backup plan where, like, they've got some kind of sonic emitter that apparently works not unlike a dog wh- whistle in getting Godzilla's attention. I like how the, the military guy who orders its use is, like, load it onto a, a helicopter, give it a try. And I think someone asks him a bit about it, and he's like, Yes, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Like, I just like that they have this kind of very unreliable piece of Godzilla tech just to try to lead him away. In this fanfic, it actually works every time, which was a little surprising. And then later on in the fanfic, we're jumping around a little bit, but the Hokkaido is, or the remnants of Hokkaido are saved or whatever by leading Godzilla away. But there's also a point later on where the government raids the cult the cult leader escapes, and he calls up a shoggoth from Tokyo Bay. Uh, and it was, you know, like, right there in Tokyo Bay. Um, and then Godzilla has to fight it. They deliberately lead Godzilla into it to try to... Wait, is that the plan? Do they deliberately lead Godzilla there that time? Uh, no, that's that's the that's at the end. Godzilla just happens to be there when the shoggoth okay, Godzilla, shows up. Godzilla just happens to be uh, there when the shoggoth shows up. Yeah, like, there's... in. And this is actually, you know, not a super long story either, especially the parts are very short. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's like um, in part, yeah, like it kind of happens really quickly. Um, 
Godzilla shows up to fight the Shoggoth. And I feel like the reason is because Godzilla is like, this is not a natural part of the Earth, right? Well, Mm -hmm. when I was reading it, my impression was that Godzilla, king of the monsters, he's being portrayed here as kind of a territorial and dominance-driven thing. Where like, if there's another giant monster, he's gonna go fight it. Like, just to you know, preemptively remove it as a threat to at least demonstrate that he can beat it up at the very least. Like, he doesn't want any other giant monsters around that he has not specifically beaten up or killed, right? I don't know. What did y'all think? Because I actually felt like it had more thematic resonance with, like, Godzilla's purpose as a creature of the Earth somehow. I think I was seeing it a little bit of both. Like, I definitely was thinking of that, like, territorial aspect, but also, like, oh, I need to get rid of it because it's not supposed to be here. I I saw it more like Amato was saying it as Godzilla being territorial. And it's like, all right, here's the next big, big guy. I got to, you know, show my stuff. <laughs> I guess Godzilla is given less internal i mean you know, it's not like it's ever from godzilla's perspective but sometimes they're like godzilla was feeling this or whatever mm-hmm. and now that i'm reading that section there's not a lot of I, I don't see any motivation specifically given to him there so i guess we just have to take to it what we want yeah but like my argument i think has to tie in a little bit more with how this kind of moves in well actually i don't even talk about the um towards the end yet because i can even just say that i think it has to do with the author's writing like they i was trying to parse this and this might be a good time to bring it up there's a lot of description of um like the later on when cthulhu does appear sorry spoiled that there's a lot of description of cthulhu's kind of like alien sense of you know, what is a human? They're just ants to be crushed. And Godzilla seems to think the same way, like this kind of total ambivalence. But it always felt like there was this like dark oozing evil coming from, you know, the elder gods uh, or, the, you know, the horrors, the um, the great old ones, like the eldritch abominations. But that doesn't come from Godzilla because that's, you know, obviously thematically not how these creatures are treated. Godzilla is, yes, a terrifying monster, but he's also like, I don't know, he's not evil. He doesn't drive people well, insane by his sheer presence of uncomprehension. He's not blasphemous in his nature. <laughs> That's the word that Lovecraft would use. He's probably not even squamous. Exactly. Well, actually. <laughs> no, no, no he's even squamous. very squamous. Exactly, Yeah. <laughs> Now I'm confused. Well, th- that <laughs> that is at the very least, Tori, how the, the people are seeing it. They're like, there's this Shoggoth is raised and like Godzilla's showing up and everyone's cheering for Godzilla because they're like, between the two of these, this is the oh. lesser evil. And so mm-hmm. whether or not that's Godzilla's motivation, that's definitely the human perspective on it. I actually just meant how the author described these things. Like when, you know, the horrors show up, you know, the, like Cthulhu is described as blasphemous. Godzilla is never described as blasphemous. And I know that's just kind of like the tone that you're supposed to use, mm-hmm. but it, I don't know. Uh, maybe I'm not. I'm confused. I'm like, are these things on the same level? Like, which one are we supposed to consider more evil? This is my well, question. Godzilla is definitely less evil. Yeah. Right. But like, why? <laughs> Well, yeah, because it's like Godzilla is, you know, a part of Earth's ecosystem, you know, 
you know, like it or not. And at the beginning of the series, we just, we see that God's like, the only reason Godzilla is attacking in the, in like the city is because it's, well, it's in his way. Like his migration pattern has just moved through Hokkaido, similar to like how, you know, deer encroach on our like suburbs and stuff like that. Although in Godzilla's case, you know, it's, um, you know, a whole city. And even like, cause like when Godzilla rolls up, the tanks fire first, and then God- and then Godzilla takes them out because he perceives it as a threat. He just was going to just kind of walk through the the city and attack whatever is attacking him in self defense. And then you know we see Cthulhu because because you know if well if Cthulhu wins, we're all screwed. We're all gonna get our minds you know irreparably taking over. And if Godzilla wins, then he just goes back into his natural habitat. I've got to say, by the way. The, the tanks firing at Godzilla there, that was a very good description of, like, why one would even fire tanks at Godzilla. Because no one thinks it's going to work. The point there is to buy a few more minutes of evacuation time, like, of the city. That was the, mm-hmm. the only reason. It was very specifically a suicide mission just to make Godzilla pause, you know, for however long it takes him to, like, breathe radioactive breath across a large line of tanks or whatever. Um, and in that sense, mission accomplished. So, like, it appears that, I guess, the main difference that Godzilla's motivations are, like, in some way to return to a natural order, even if that natural order doesn't include humans, whereas, like, the Elder Gods and Great Old Ones kind of have more of a, well, they're aliens, like, they have more of an alien sort of, like, exterminate the planet thing. Well, I think this actually does a very a, a good a, a good job of the lovecraftian theme of the vast indifference of the cosmos mm-hmm. and it doesn't do it in a lovecraftian way but like for example to like move along the plot the you know the government raids the cult the cult leader escapes and like you know the international community knows enough because of the insmith raid and that kind of thing they know the whole cthulhu setup and they know that sometimes really rises out of the sea and usually it goes back down, but at some point it's going to stay back up and that's going to be real, real bad news. And even when it's only coming up for a little bit, that's, you know, that drives people crazy all over the world and stuff like in Call of Cthulhu. But what I'm getting at is that the cult leader escapes to Rulia and like cultists are gathering at like this risen island from all over the world. And one of the things I really like is there's the scene where they're all there worshipping Cthulhu and it's like, you know, Cthulhu emerges from his cyclopean tomb and doesn't give a shit, doesn't even notice them, just, like, crushes half of them as he's, like, moving by. Like, it's just completely irrelevant to anything Cthulhu's doing. And, like, you know, he doesn't have plans that involves cults around the world. That's just a byproduct of his incredibly, immensely powerful psychic dreams. It's just Mm -hmm. totally, total, complete indifference. And, obviously, the author here does not sell the horror of that, because nobody is as horrified as H.P. Lovecraft at white people not being the center of the universe. But um, no one can quite get that level of like horror in their text. But I think in terms of continuing that theme, he does a good job of conveying that like Cthulhu's not even evil. He just doesn't care. I mean, he's not evil in a human sense because that's an irrelevant thing to apply to it, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I want to go off of both of your points a little bit. Um, there was one moment when it's like, leading up to the fight between Cthulhu and Godzilla. And you get sort of like somewhat from Cthulhu's perspective, like, 
oh, like, you know, Godzilla is, you know, a, a lesser being because he's been just regularly evolving among this earth and can't compare to, you know, the alien nature of the old ones. And I just thought that was like a really interesting connection between the two of them because it definitely like speaks to how we're seeing Cthulhu as like something that is, you know, evil, but in a way that we can't understand. And then also speaks to, um, you know, just the naturalness of Godzilla as like an entity on Earth because they see it as just, you know, something that evolved here like you would see with like a regular old alligator or something like that right C cthulhu takes a moment when it first sees godzilla to be like that's an unusually large earth life form and that's like yeah <laughs> yeah my, my my favorite line in this whole is this whole thing where it's like 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 the the, the, the great old ones like hmm godzilla's mind should have broken right now i've read his genetic code why isn't he just keeling over and i'm like yeah that's godzilla well, th there's this whole sequence, right? They lead Godzilla to Rilia because they know that Rilia is rising. And their best idea is like, when there have been other kaiju, sometimes you can sick Godzilla on them. And Godzilla seems <laughs> yes. to be, and Godzilla seems to be responding to that sonic transmitter really well right now. So um, they lead him over there. Apparently, Rilia is pretty close to Japan because they leave in the morning and they get there by the late afternoon at Godzilla walking across the ocean speed. It it cannot be very far away from mainland Japan if that's the case. But anyway, um, you know, you get the description of the city and like it's, you know, all the cultists gathering and and it's all cool stuff. And one of the things I also like is that Godzilla is stricken with fear, mm -hmm. like at the sight of all this. It it yeah. senses that something's wrong. And that's not an emotion you usually get from Godzilla, but it's very appropriate here. Godzilla's emotions, I think, are really good in this because now I did mention before I wanted a little contrast to our previous pick in which Godzilla was extremely humanized. He had a telepathic relationship with a human and the way he oh. spoke to her was just like like any human would. Like actually like a bratty teen would. It was very Yo, what disappointing up, babe? for us. He spoke more human than I speak. Yeah. <laughs> he was very disappointing for us in that sense. Check out this atomic breath. <laughs> so he gets, you know, he doesn't speak in this, obviously, so telepathic speech. There's no speech whatsoever from Godzilla, but he gets to relay and he's like, he roared at in fury at one of the massive structures with blotch, which blocked his path, towering above him at an incredible height, many times Godzilla's own titanic enormity. When the tower did not move, did not react to Godzilla's challenge, the reptile slowly walked around its alien symmetry, his eyes still glaring in suspicion, ready for the first sign of aggression from the cosmic evil he sensed all about him. So you're like, yeah, like this big lizard is just like, I have no idea what the fuck is happening. Is this an animal? I don't know. I, I've got to roar at it. And okay, I, it didn't move. I, I I guess I'll just walk around it and glare in suspicion. And I love that too, because it's the, like the juxtaposition of humanness, right. like the glaring in suspicion or the glaring in defiance that is also identified sometimes. And it works because you're like, this is not a human but has emotions like when you talk about any non-human animal, mm. they also have emotions. So. And I can picture a Godzilla suit actor selling that really well, too. Yes. Oh, yes. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I that was probably my favorite description in the entire thing, probably. Um, but, but yeah, then like Godzilla's there through human ingenuity for 
Cthulhu to emerge and some of Cthulhu's spawn, which also exists, star spawn, whatever. Um, and I mean, they're lucky that Godzilla's flight or fight instinct is basically just fight all the time. Um, mm-hmm. because despite the fact that Godzilla's freaked out, like he's not going to do anything but try to fight the thing. And it's a, it's a weird sequence for the climactic fight of Godzilla versus Cthulhu. We don't have exactly a drag down, a, whatever you call it, knockdown fight between the two. It's more like the equivalent of some someone waking up after their long sleep, stepping out of the house, and there's a big goose glaring at them. And they're like, well, that's weird. And then the goose starts honking at them. And so you kind of like try to shoo it away. And then it comes at you and starts pecking your legs. You try to kick it. And that doesn't dissuade the, the goose. You try like throwing a heavy object at it and it hits the goose. And then the goose is still honking angrily at you. And then eventually like, forget this. I'm going back inside. Like that's kind of the Cthulhu versus Godzilla fight here. Godzilla is the goose in this scenario. Yeah. That is actually really yeah. accurate. <laughs> and I mean, there's more, there's more kaiju action than that. But like there's several rounds of like, Godzilla notices Cthulhu and does the bare minimum necessary to deal with him. And then that doesn't actually work. Several times. Mm-hmm. And I do like the emphasis at, like, at about the third round of that. Cthulhu does a thing. And I like the story kind of emphasizing, like, Cthulhu did something that was incredibly advanced super science that humans can only understand as magic. And, you know, the whole ground beneath Godzilla melted and trapped him inside. And I like the emphasis on that also, where it's like Godzilla is, not not Godzilla, Cthulhu is like not magic, just unknowable or whatever. Well, I'd actually like to walk us back and talk a little bit about, so this is all chapter six. This is the big Mm -hmm. fight between Cthulhu and Godzilla that calls us summon Cthulhu. But I'd like to walk us back just a little bit because there's some really good explanation of where Cthulhu even comes from in the first place. That's earlier in one of the earlier chapters. There's an info dump by a government uh, or I guess American government agent towards Ryu, our surviving uh, previous infiltrator guy, right? Yeah, it talks about how, you know, the kind of the great old ones, elder gods got all of them, you know, had came from the cosmos and came to Earth and how Cthulhu has been sleeping and how his dreams. This is all Lovecraft stuff. Like it's well, it's Lovecraft, but it's also the like very like let's lay it out directly kind of, you know, KOCM Call of Cthulhu incarnation what of it, too. I like best of it um, is that there is a big emphasis on how sophisticated their science is. Hmm, and right. for that reason, it not only appears as magic, but it drives humans insane. Mm-hmm. They, they were saying, like, imagine if you were an ant and you suddenly had the knowledge of how to build, an, like, I forget what they a used, rocket. Like a rocket. Yep. Yeah. And it's like, what, do, what does your mind even do with that? Like, there's so, <laughs> there's so much that your mind is not, your mind is not built to handle that information. There's like... 5,000 layers of context that you maybe don't understand, you know, building up that information. Right. Yeah. So, like, in this fight, this is a big part of the kind of inside the heads of Cthulhu versus Godzilla, which is so fascinating to me. I don't know how y'all feel about that, but it's so interesting because Godzilla is, like, primordial and Cthulhu is, like, super high-tech advanced in a weird way. Right. 
yeah that that's a super interesting like i guess theme that's kind of deep i feel like it's being developed in both having like two storylines as well because you think of like the godzilla storyline at the beginning ends up being more focused on like you know technology and the military and stuff whereas like the storyline with the cultist is a little more like I guess organic, since it's, like, person-focused. I don't know. I feel like this is an interesting, like, interplay going on between, like, just the the primitive, the organic, the primordial, and then, like, the magical science technology. I don't know. It's It's an interesting development. Yeah, that is really interesting. If you think about, like, human science, advanced science, and then Godzilla just, like, being super powerful despite having none of his own science, per se. Well, well, you know, know he's a a product of science in his own way, right? Yeah, but, like, he doesn't have the understanding of technology that hypothetically these other creatures do. Mm -hmm. Can I also ask a little bit more broadly, what do you two think about the kaiju fight scenes as kaiju fight scenes in this? Because we've got Godzilla versus Shoggoth, kind of a kaiju. And Godzilla versus Cthulhu, kind of a fight. But it, it's always, it seems to me between these two, the two Godzilla fanfics I've read recently, that writing kaiju action seems hard. Do you two think that, like, this is a, these are effective scenes or, like, interesting scenes, like, from a kind of Godzilla fan perspective? I feel like the Shoggoth one is, like, a little too brief. Mm-hmm. for it to be like i guess super impactful but i thought that the cthulhu one was interesting um i would have liked to see some more stuff from like godzilla's perspective cuz we got a lot of like a little bit of good stuff from that but we had a lot more good stuff coming from like the cthulhu part of it so it almost feels like it's it's I guess deviating from how I would expect a normal kaiju fight to go, which is like most of the time you end up focusing more on Godzilla. I mean, that's that's who people really want to see on the screen anyways, right? But um, I, I thought it was all right. But I feel like it definitely still leans more towards like, I guess, a Lovecraftian kind of atmosphere than it does for a kaiju atmosphere. I don't know if Sergio picked up on the same thing. Yeah, yeah, because uh, well, I I think the Shoggoth fight. Well, it's not like my. F- I, I like. I think it's like interesting because like it's very like you know he like puts the like the goo inside of Godzilla and starts ripping Godzilla apart, and then you know Godzilla explodes in like nuclear fire and you know annihilates the Shoggoth, and then he goes to he goes to takes a nap for like six hours, and he's just fine. <laughs> uh, he's yeah. just back to full strength. Um. And then the Godzilla versus Cthulhu fight, I think, is pretty cool. Like with that moment, I think where where Cthulhu is a bit conf- like like kind of underestimates Godzilla. And I guess the Godzilla me is is like fan of me is like happy that Godzilla's nuclear fire just annihilates um, Cthulhu's flesh whenever it like he just blows holes right through them. But I thought the last fight was pretty good, except for well, we'll get to it. But the ending kind of just left a bad taste in my mouth with the last sentence. <laughs> Before we get to the ending, I want to talk a little bit more about the physicality of Cthulhu, because in this fight, it kind of, in a really good description, like oozes out from like its tomb and then like forms in a much bigger space than it could possibly have taken oh, up yeah. in there. And then it, it's described, Cthulhu's described as being kind of like, it's got a physicality, but if it's damaged, just kind of reforms and such. 
Though we do acknowledge from Cthulhu's perspective that like these things that Cthulhu that that Godzilla is doing can actually hurt Cthulhu, which is a little bit distressing. But I just want to hone in on one description of Cthulhu, which looking back, I think is really good. And this is after the little fight between Godzilla and the pillar. Um, Upon the hill, great Cthulhu continued to exult in his freedom, an emotion less passionate than a man should than a man should have felt an emotion more resigned than rejoicing. The immense mountain of rubbery green flesh pulsed with an inner light, a blue luminescence which slowly spread across the monster god's entire shape, transforming Cthulhu's hide into an electric blue color, an unearthly hue of such beauty as to be incompatible with the hellish form it cloaked. And I thought those were really good, both that like, look, you can relate to its emotions, but not quite. You can see its physical form, but you can't quite understand it. Like, I feel like both those senses are really good at just being like, you can get an impression here, but you're not going to really understand what's going on physically or mentally with this entity. Yeah, that's that's really good to point out. I, I think it um, we were we were mentioning that, you know, sometimes the, the text itself can confuse us. And I think that was a. A good example of something to make you intentionally feel confused <laughs> so that you kind of understand how the characters in the story would be feeling while they're seeing all this and unfold in front of them. Oh, though, to be fair, I don't think anyone witnessed this other than like the cultist and not uh, who's the cult leader. Well, he says everyone else was driven insane. Oh, it well, no, I meant um, not the cult leader apparently witnessed this. My point is, is like, that's never given Yamamoto, our main protagonist, never saw Oh, yeah, that's right. This. He never saw it. <laughs> um, and everyone on the ship he was in was driven insane by sheer proximity. That's Well, they, they say with the sight of him. They did see Cthulhu. They were oh, driven okay. mad at the sight of him. Okay, okay. But, like, Yamamoto, there is something, well, maybe I'm... What, what am I missing here? I thought they never got close enough to actually see him, see the fight. No, no, you're right. I forgot about that. I guess mm. I just feel like the people being driven insane. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's true. I did not understand the physical location of the humans, except for the cultists down on the ground. Yeah, well, because once the fight starts, it's all about Godzilla and Cthulhu right. and, mm -hmm. and like various cultists being squished. But like that was, um, this is a little tangential, but that was a big question for me as I was like, where was Nadanaka in all of this? Like, wasn't he supposed to be this villain? And of course, Cthulhu's, Wait, like, not Anaka, whatever, right? He probably got squished, too. Right. I, I mean, he says <laughs> at the end of the story, yeah. Akira not, not Anaka, the cult leader, has not been seen since Rilea's return to the depths. It can only be assumed that he perished beneath his god's feet or drowned with Rilea's sinking. Yeah, but they never, like, really specify a location much other mm. than the cultists just being squished. And, and you're right, Tori, it does say in the last sequence, I did not see their battle, but I can only deduce that Godzilla yeah. defeated Cthulhu since mankind's civilization yet thrives. Actually, the text is fairly clear that it's just like the story, the call of Cthulhu. The stars just weren't right. You know, they, they were going to go back down mm -hmm. either way, probably. Mm -hmm. um, just just woke up to check out the sights for a moment, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. To, uh, yeah. <laughs> but we probably Sorry. should talk I about the end that. there that you've all been... Uh, you know, biting your tongue oh, about. Yes. So the end of the very end of the story. Go for it. 
So the, I will I will read what the last line of this uh, this fan fiction is, which is perhaps it is only coincidence, but Godzilla did not long survive his battle with Mighty Cthulhu. The uranium deposits of Birth Island somehow became unstable, causing the entire island to explode and saturating Godzilla with such vast amount of radiation as to prove lethal even to him. I wonder if Great Cthulhu's dark dreams had anything to do with it. I do wonder. This is because Cthulhu was like praying to um the yeah. cosmic dark cosmic forces to do something to Godzilla. Yeah, D- yeah, and I mean, first of all, I, I mean, I-, I guess great old one science magic, but that's not how uranium works, and that's also not exactly <laughs> how Godzilla works because he would have just absorbed all of the radiation and then gone um. You know, supernova because because there's in Godzilla versus Destoroya, he starts melting down because mm-hmm. he absorbed a ton of radiation in the previous movie, and that's a big problem because if they didn't cool him off, his explosion would have like rendered the Earth uninhabitable. Um, but I think that I think this came out before Destoroya came out, so I guess I'll give him a pass on that. But the the, the big it, it didn't. Destoroya is ninety five. This fanfic is ninety eight. Oh, and I, I and I'm pretty sure this is specifically meant to in whatever continuity this guy's constructing, tie into Godzilla versus Destroya, because that's not exactly what happens at the beginning of Godzilla versus Destroya, but it's pretty close. Like, mm-hmm. you know, buildup of nuclear energy, the re- uranium deposits in the ground on Birth Island, and Birth Island only exists in those two movies anyway, right? I know this from the wiki that I had to pull up to figure out what the <laughs> hell was going on at the end of this story. Yeah. Like, it's it's... That's got to be what he's trying to do is lead into that movie specifically. Yeah, but the 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 the, po- the point I'm trying to make is you don't kill Godzilla off in a sentence at the end of the story. Like what? Yeah, that was like, cool. yeah, like I'm reading it, I'm enjoying it, and <laughs> I'm just like, he's dead. <laughs> you killed off but- Japan's most like one of their most popular characters in a sentence. But that's okay because we have Godzilla Junior now. No, <laughs> I mean, not, still I mean, not I, okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I mean, because, because, I mean, well, I mean, you know, Destoroya ends with Godzilla Junior being aged up into a full blown Godzilla, but here it's just like, yep, Godzilla's just kind of dead. Look, I, I totally understand. I'm, I'm certain the author must have been trying to slot this into just before Godzilla versus Destroya in continuity. Was it well done in the writing? Heck, no! It's hilariously badly done in the writing. You're, you're totally right. It's like, and then Godzilla died, unrelatedly. Maybe the end. No, but like, I feel like that's a, I, th- I feel like that's a fan fiction trope in itself. And then they were dead. The end. <laughs> Written and directed by Ryan Johnson. Okay, here is the thrust of it, though. Like to really narrow it down for anyone who's like not read the fanfic, though you can. It's not super long. Um. Really, Cthulhu realizes, oh, like after several moments of like instinctively, I don't know, battling Godzilla, he's like, oh, this thing might actually be a threat. It might actually injure me. So he starts praying, um, whatever you call it, because is, is it science or magic? I don't know. Yeah, whatever. Um, in an audible summons to the very core of the universe, Cthulhu was calling upon a power which even he perhaps would be unable to control, a power which would annihilate his foe utterly. 
But then he suddenly stops at a certain point. And at that point in the fanfic, I was like, what? Why did he just suddenly stop? And then everybody retreats and Relay just sinks back into the sea. And then you, it's, this is very short. This is like two paragraphs. And then um, Godzilla is like, cool, bye. And then Godzilla kind of later dies from this random thing. And it's implied, um, first of all, it says, yeah, the stars were not right. But then perhaps it is only coincidence, but Godzilla did not long survive his battle with Mighty Cthulhu. So it's like, yeah, no, I think the implication is that somehow Cthulhu's plea to, uh, what do you call it? That, what do you call the dark cosmic forces? It's outer gods. Outer gods. gods. Mm-hmm. Thank you. No, because Cthulhu is technically a great old one. Yeah, this is all the very systemized yeah, understanding, but yes, that, that would be correct in the standard mythos gamified version. He's whatever. a great old one. The more, the even more cosmic entities are outer gods. Outer gods. Don't even yeah. ask about elder gods. Forget it. Mm. Apparently, Cthulhu is like the child of an elder god and a great old one. I don't care. Moving on. <laughs> the deep lore. Uh, so he calls on the outer gods, and apparently that's supposed to be the implication, is that's why Godzilla is poisoned and died. Well, he does but, wonder. He does uh, wonder. He does wonder. Oh, well, Yamamoto wonders. Yamamoto yeah, I does. wonder. <laughs> I wonder, too, because I'm like, I agree. I'm like, what's... <laughs> What? I mean, like, I get it. It's the prayer from Cthulhu, who's like the outer gods, which are like super powerful entities. But, and they're trying to make it so that next time when the stars do align, that Godzilla won't be there to thwart him in any way. I totally get that. You know, but if this story goes, it's got a series is going to continue, there needs to be a Godzilla. So. Yeah, and knowing that this guy's constructing his own continuity of fanfics, I wonder if they're like kind of set around the mo- like various movies or in versions of the movies. I, d- I wonder if he was a big fan of the Heisei movies because he- that's clearly he's invoking that specifically with Birth Island and this event and all that kind of thing. Um, I am now thinking of just like full on camp Godzilla Lovecraft crossover stuff that I would want to do where like, oh, if you're going to invoke the outer gods against Cthulhu, I definitely want some portion of Azathoth to be summoned and then Godzilla to absorb some of the seething nuclear chaos at the center of the universe and become like great old one Godzilla and like get, get a new cool design and oh, then yeah. he probably breathes fire at Nyarlathotep. I don't know. Like, I want John Waters to direct a Godzilla movie. Nyarlathotep was played by some really cool character actor but then he has a giant kaiju form Power Ranger style where he's like, you know, his big like bloody tongue form or something. Maybe he shifts form several times so it's a better fight scene. Um, I, this is one of those times where I have to remind myself that I don't actually have the time or energy to write fan fiction and I'm not actually <laughs> going to do it, but, um, you know, some, someone else please do and, and then I'll read it anyway. Sorry. I was going off a little bit there. Is there anything else any of you all want to talk about before we wrap up our final thoughts about this story? I think we've about covered it. We skimmed over, I feel like, a lot of the cult content specifically, but we, we conveyed the gist, at least. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, in that case, here we are at the end of the reasonably short story, Godzilla vs. Cthulhu. And what, what do you do not like about the story or think might, could have been improved, possibly, before we end on praise? I I think that the because I understand he had a word limit, but I felt like 
the, the pace was a little too snappy. I kind of wish some of the text was a bit more dense. You know, the relationship between him and some of these other cultist characters while he was undercover mm-hmm. could have been a little bit more explored. Um, maybe Godzilla's death is a bit more elaborated on and not relegated to a single sentence. <laughs> I agree with you. And with the cult stuff, besides having maybe like scenes that have dialogue instead of him paraphrasing things, I would have liked to see just a little bit more of cult life in general. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if that's a weird request. It's just like, he's kind of like, oh yeah, they're cultists doing cult things. But it's like, I don't know, what do you do during the day? I'm kind of curious. Yeah. I'm kind of like a little bit of establishing like stuff before the cult is raised to the ground and everyone turns out to be deep ones and, you know, everything goes to hell there. And it kind of comes back to that thing you said about like the exposition in the beginning of Mato is it was like, bam, bam, bam. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was, yeah, not enough depth. Like all of a sudden we're out of the cult and it's just gone. It's so common in Godzilla movies to have like the human story, right? And you like spend a lot of time mm. with the humans before you get to like the, the big kaiju fights. And for that to work really well, you do kind of have to like make the human story interesting. And I feel like it could have been, I, I think I agree with you, like a little bit more time there would have helped, helped engage me a bit more with the human story. Mm hmm. I totally agree with that. I think I said this earlier, but I would have liked to see more of an interaction between um, Yamamoto and um, Kumi, the female lead. I I think that would have, I don't know, just provided the interesting um, like human story that we needed. (laughs) Or more stuff with the American infiltrator, because he was like, you know, there for like two seconds and it's like, oh, well, he died too. But it would have been interesting to just see more interplay between like the Japanese and the Americans in this story. Mm hmm. Oh, right. Because that was the whole thing in the beginning that there was, yeah, the American infiltrator in the cult, yeah. too, that um, Yamamoto didn't trust. And this felt like it should have been like the first half of a movie, right? This whole thing with the cult. But really, mm-hmm. it was like one fifth of the story, maybe. And then Kumi dies so early, and so does the American guy. And there was so much emotional establishment of like Yamamoto's investment in these two people, like one who he distrusted and one who we loved and the little brother that of, of Kumi that mm-hmm. he wanted to get out of the cult. And then that just disappeared. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We don't even follow up on that brother. <laughs> I mean, we oh, got oh, out oh, of the cult. Oh, he, 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 died. he died. Yeah, oh, he died. Oh yeah. The, the three of them were killed. Oh That's shoot. Right. They all yep. died. They all died. Ugh. I was just like revamping it in my head as a more optimistic thing. Somehow you got out. No. Yeah, they all just died. So that it's tragedy, but it also like, and I think it's fine that it's tragedy, but then it doesn't really inform a lot of what Yamamoto does either. And I think to me, especially this comes back in the fact that Yamamoto is the only one who doesn't go insane in the presence of Cthulhu or like proximity to relay or whatever. And I'm like, he's had so much tragedy happen to him. Why is that the case? Like, there's just no justification. He, which again doubles back on that pulp idea that like he's just the hero, right? But but maybe yeah. maybe having been exposed to some of the ideas in the cult maybe like helped him acclimate to this idea before he got there or something. And he does become like maybe. in the epilogue, he becomes like the leader of like the anti mythos forces, you know, organization in Japan. But if you think about what he does, he's like. I am so enraged by the death of my love interest. I'm going to fly in this helicopter to Rillier with this other task force of like two dozen people. 
and he flies in that helicopter. That's what he does. Yeah. That's it. Like, yeah. There's nothing else he does. There's no like heroic moment of attempting to like do something with the sonic transmitter or like convey any information to Godzilla or like save the lives of the people who are going insane. He does none of that. He might as well have not been there in the helicopter. He didn't even see it happen. (laughs) (laughs) I think it should have been one or the other. I think it either should have been the human characters are a vehicle in the story to tell the Godzilla Cthulhu fight, or there should have been more focus on the human story. Mm -hmm. Again, it's like, or it should have been half and half at least. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's just how it felt to me. No, I I agree with that. Half and half would have been really good. I mean, I feel like it. I feel like it was something like half and half. It just like the the halves were maybe a little lumpy in some ways, especially the human side. Oh yeah, and, like when you tell your sibling that you're gonna take the bigger half of the cookie. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Look, one person breaks the two parts of the fanfic in half, and the other person chooses which half. That's how you do it. The problem is, it's always better to choose which half. No one wants to be the one breaking the cookie in half. Right. Because that's you like, true. Mm. Well, unless you claim the bigger half. Well, you can't do that. That's against the rules. What I kind of anarchist right. are you here? <laughs> a good one. Oh, maybe that's more of a dictator, actually. Anyway, where were we? Let's end on praise if we're yes. all done with our complaints. What was your favorite thing about this story? I like the the kaiju fight at the end because I don't I wasn't really kind of feeling it until the fights kind of started happening because it was just very like very quick very like light prose but like I think like once it like got going like around like chapter three I think I think I I started to like it I have similar thoughts um I really enjoyed the fight scenes but I would also say that um I normally am not a person who like reads crossover stories. It's just not something I normally get super into. But I think this was a really like plausible crossover. Like it's appropriate to see, you know, these two specific giant monsters fighting each other. As I mentioned, they had some interesting interplay between like the contrast between the two of them. And then also, I think it was written in a way that was plausible for both. Like, I think it was a suitable writing style, both like, you know, some somewhat going along with like the types of words that you'd see in a Lovecraftian story, but also, you know, the action that you would end up seeing in one of like a kaiju movie. And I also appreciated that a lot of the language was really cinematic as well. Yeah, I agree. I think... My favorite thing is probably leaning into the pulpiness of this. Some of the set piece action scenes are actually really cool and make me like kind of picture them cinematically in my head. And definitely the whole like Cthulhu in Relies scene is is that all mm-hmm. over. But thinking back, even like the kind of fight being pursued by the goblin, which is the name of the smaller deep one henchman, like through the the town mm-hmm. that we're like all all hell's breaking loose and such like i feel like that was also really cool pulpy kind of action um and the shoggoth fight maybe a little bit less so but i was also describing when we were chatting outside the recording earlier that like i do kind of really want to see in cinematic you know tokusatsu special effects so like mm-hmm. the the godzilla being engulfed by a shoggoth and then like 
burning it from the inside with an explosion of nuclear fire that leaves him drained. Like that, that's all such like great visual language going on. Yeah. I think a lot of the um, early things with exposition can definitely be chalked up to the constraints of the story. But when the author, like, it's like, it's almost as if, if you think about it, it's like they really paid attention where they needed to, you know? It's like we're criticizing um, how rapidly the first, or I was criticizing how rapidly the first part went. But then when you get to that kaiju fight, the descriptions are so admirable. It's like if you had a word constraint, then dang, like you did the right thing in your choices here. Because in this very last fight, um, I know I already did some quotes from it, but I'll do a couple more. Um, Godzilla emerged from the labyrinth of Relais. Cyclop- Cyclopean? How do you say that? Cyclopean? Cyclopean. Cyclopean. Yeah, that non-word. Yes, uh, streets with the cl- the closest his reptilian mind could come to relief. The alien city's colossal towers had oppressed even Godzilla's savage spirit. Yet the sense of cosmic evil had grown rather than lessened as the Titan had come closer to leaving Relay's vaults behind. Now there was a great empty space before him. Ahead was a hill in a giant crypt, and Godzilla was a primal force, an engine of carnage and destruction. Hideous obscenities of science and nature had fought him, and he had not wavered. Only a primitive rage had filled his reptilian heart. Yet now, as Godzilla's eyes fought the ancient horror that stood before him, the monster shrieked in terror and took several steps backwards. Horror crossed across Godzilla's spine. Fear nodded his brain for the first time in his awful existence. The miasma of timelessness, the stench of the galaxy's unfathomed limits, seemed to exude from mighty Cthulhu's flesh, filling even Godzilla with a sense of blasphemy and dread. And you're like, you put Godzilla (laughs) into Lovecraft's world and you just did that. So respect. (laughs) I even think there's better quotes I could come across, but... Man, like they just they they did that drama, you know. They went for it and they they, they yeah. earned it. <laughs> mm-hmm. you, and you know, you can tell the author's having fun. Like, it must be fun to be a writer of genre fiction, right? Like, you can just get in there and like mess around with these ideas without having it be, but what about the fine literature or the, you know, the the character arc that is subtle or anything like that you don't need subtlety you just need like really cool imagery oh yeah and like enough and like a meaty plot hook for the reader to like hook themselves into it makes me want to track down some of this guy's other writings actually i I haven't read the skaven books maybe i should i hear they're really good i also really liked the whole point where like cthulhu was probing godzilla's dna to find his weakness (laughs) not even godzilla's mind godzilla's dna DNA. like somehow he can do that I know we mentioned it before, but like then the thing we mentioned before was that like then for some reason it didn't work and we still know the reason. And I love that. Like that feels like that like little cliffhanger piece. Yeah. And I mean, I bought that too, just in that like Cthulhu has been basically asleep since before the formation of the modern continents. It's missed a few things. And Godzilla's honestly a pretty strange creature. And so it's like, 
you know, whatever whatever method Cthulhu thought it was using that like w- probably worked really well on um, elder things, which are very whatever or whatever inhabited the earth back there. It just like didn't quite work here on Godzilla. It kind of worked. Like he 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 manages to like make a noise yeah. that like you know assaults Godzilla, but it didn't completely work. But then like Cthulhu is like actually confused, and I was like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Any last thoughts there, or should we wrap this up? I think we're good to wrap it up. I think yeah, we covered I, everything. I think we're good. Yeah. Well, good. I'm glad that we could have you on for a story that you essentially enjoyed. That's always a pleasure. I always feel mm-hmm. a little bit chagrined when I ask, um, you know, a guest on and like make them read a thing, and we get on. And we're like, oh, that that was not very good. Um. <laughs> Sometimes it can be fun to rip in. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> But like we didn't have to do that this time, which is no. good. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is good. Yeah, I I think at first I didn't know how to feel about it because there were a lot of like I think the info dump at the beginning really like threw me for a loop. I was wondering if that was going to be like all the story was going to be, and then I was pleasantly surprised that it was actually awesome after that. <laughs> The author set your expectations low at the beginning so that then, you know, you could be pleasantly surprised as yeah, you went forward. It was great. Good plan. That might have even been deliberate. Don't honestly. start with your best yeah. material. That's what they say, right? Um, actually, I'm not sure they say that. I think maybe you're supposed to start strong, but, you know, <laughs> whatever. No, start weak. Set the bar real low <laughs> so you can always achieve. <laughs> uh, I mean, that, that's been our strategy with this podcast is just keep the bar low. <laughs> Like, don't even raise it. <laughs> Ours too. <laughs> Continue to like half-ass it and not do enough, you know, research or preparation and just, you know, ramble all over the place. And then people won't expect great things from you. Yeah. Um, just like Godzilla. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Sergio and Kai, for reaching out once again. And uh, you're welcome back on any time you feel like reading some old fan fiction. But you know what? We forgot to have you plug your own internet activities at the start of the show. So we really should not have you miss doing that at the end of the show. Can you tell us what you do online and where people can find you? Yeah, um, because I, I, I was about to ask if we could do our usual end of the podcast showing. Um, you can catch me and Kai on the So You Think You Can Fan and Podcast fo- found wherever podcasts can be found. Spotify, Pandora, Anchor, all of those. Amazon Music, Audible. Uh, we have a YouTube channel where you can catch us our catch us our old uploads um, that are slowly but surely being all uploaded on there. And if you are planning to go to a convention this summer, uh, we will be doing panels at Colossal Con Prime in Sandusky, Ohio. If you would like to come out and see some of us, and can I have a couple follow up questions there? Do you yeah. know what the topic of your panel is yet? Uh, I mean, we have a bunch. Uh, we we, yeah, we normally do panels. like several. Um, oh god. Um, uh, we'll we'll have a fa- we're we're planning on doing our fan fiction uh, reading panel there. Um, our weird internet stuff panel. Uh, the weird world of the internet. Um, we might do our because we have a we have a Dungeons and Improv like D and D panel where like the audience gives us magic items and like a setting and then we do like a little improv show. We might do that one. Um, we're planning on doing, a a bad panel ideas panel, uh, where we each present each other a terrible panel idea, and then the audience <laughs> decides who had the worst, best worst panel. That all sounds delightful. Yeah. I wish I was anywhere near Ohio. 
And can you also describe what kinds of things you're doing on So You Think You Can Fan in these days? Are you still grinding your way through that Kingdom Hearts knockoff? No, we we, we finished, actually. We've, we've, okay. we've we finished the third, uh, the third book in the series. There was eight. We finished the third one, uh, and we're done unless somebody pays us two hundred dollars. That was our stipulation that a fan gave us two hundred dollars, we would continue. But that hasn't happened yet, so we're not doing that anymore. Um, we're doing a uh, tabletop live play of uh, SCP Seven Thousand Six, which is an SCP that is a tabletop campaign. So we're doing that. Um, the All Guardsman Party, a Warhammer fanfic. That's a transcription of a. Um, Dark Heresy campaign that was played. Uh, we're doing that. That's like our most popular thing right now. And just whatever kind of comes to mind, whatever kind of stories or discussion topics, uh, you can catch that on So You Think You Can Fan Him. All right. Thanks so much. Well, thanks. Yeah. Thanks again, Sergio and Kai, for coming back to us. Despite our chaos, we appreciate you. We yeah. love your chaos. It's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> well, I had lots of fun this episode, but I guess we need to wrap it up. So for our end, this was episode 150 of Retro Fanfic Retrospective. Truly, we're getting ancient and unknowable, more so every month and every year. You can find the story Godzilla vs. Cthulhu on kaijufile.com. Oh, no. Is Kaijufile.com. And there's also it's also on fanfiction.net, but not with as good um scene breaks and i'll provide links to those in the show notes of course our podcast is edited by della davis who comments that we now have one episode for every pokemon i'm pretty sure there are no more pokemon left to talk about yeah that just seems wrong but i don't know well it's just as well because we also read all the fanfics like we're done with those too oh that makes sense because they won't be making it anymore that's right the fanfiction is over now it's our pokemon the intro song is The Weekly Fair off of the album Popey's Incredible Adventure by Komiku. The outro song is Run Against the Universe from the same album. You can find this album and other works by Komiku at loyaltyfreakmusic.com. You can find our website at retrofanficretrospective.podbean.com or bit.ly slash retrofanfic. And if you have questions, comments, or thoughts about the episode, you can contact us on Twitter at retrofanfic. Somehow Twitter's still trucking along, I guess. Or send us an email at retrofanficretrospective at gmail.com. Leaving comments or reviews on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast service you use works very well also. I'm Amato. I'm Tori. I'm Kai. And I'm Sergio. We're just four Earth life forms trying to be nice to each other until Great Cthulhu rises from Rilia and we're all driven insane. Until next time, take care. Timestamp. I don't, guess. Don't, don't introduce this. This <laughs> we don't need this extra level of difficulty. I'm, I'm just saying. No, that's why I said if you're feeling extra. Like, <laughs> we have we have a timestamping channel in our Discord server for editing oh. stuff. We make a lot of goofs, so we need it. <laughs> <laughs> a goof log.
<laughs> yes, basically. Oh, we make a lot of goofs, but we just leave them. <laughs> Free content. Mostly. Yeah, exactly. No, see, see, we 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 like we like censoring words with uh the bass boosted Among Us sound. So usually it'll be like, oh, Jake said something. Just remove it with Among Us and post. That's if you say anything this time, we'll replace it with the Godzilla roar. Yes. Say that, Amada. <laughs> you can just say things. I have to actually do it. <laughs> you don't have to do it. It's okay. It's got to be an easy sound well, clip to find. You know what I've noted is that every time we make a joke about like an editing thing Della should do, she actually does. <laughs> but likely this isn't necessarily in the episode yet. So That's true. Mm. No one knows that we made that joke. Welcome to... 